The preached word this morning comes from Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 6. Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 6. And the word of God reads as follows. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt in Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites and had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything because the food he ate. Now, Joseph was a handsome man in form and appearance. This is the word of the Lord. We are back in our series in the life of Joseph. We've come to chapter 39, the first uh, few verses here. Joseph has entered into the service of the Egyptian Potiphar. I am blessed, someone said, and highly favored. No doubt, most of us have heard that phrase a time or two in our Christian journey. No doubt, many of us have thought to say those words. Some of us come from churches in which these words are the common mantra with which Christians greet one another. used to be in the early church that Christians would greet one another with Christ is risen, and they would respond, he's risen indeed. But now it seems that people greet one another, well, how are you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. It's kind of grown into a mantra, if you would. Unfortunately, for most of us, however, these words really are nothing more than a perfunctory state. Really hold no real significance. They are little more than a cliche and really hold out no real meaning of anything actually experientially in our lives. It's like we say it hoping that it would be true. Now, let me say from the outset, beloved, that case you didn't already know it, we are not a prosperity church. Amen. Okay? Far from it. You won't see us out here trying to build a helicopter pad. It's not going to be a private parking space for the pastor's Bentley or his wife's Land Rover. Though I'm sure my wife wouldn't mind. <laughs> you won't hear. You won't hear from this pulpit the need for you to plant a seed to meet a need. 
such, beloved, uh, manipulation of God, his word, and his people is beneath the dignity and the sanctity that is the word of God. It is not worthy of our Lord's death, of his resurrection, his promise to come again. And yet, I want to be clear this morning that while we are not a prosperity church, we do believe, beloved, according to the scriptures, that our God is willing, that our God is able to meet all of our needs according to his riches in glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We do believe that God answers prayers. And he answers the prayers of his people and will at times not only answer those prayers, but he will amazingly and graciously give his people the desires of their hearts. We do believe that God desires for his people to be aware, beloved, of his blessings. And being made aware of his blessings will therefore walk in a faithfulness that demonstrates his favor. And therefore produces his fruit. We believe that. We believe that because... God wants his people to show the world that even in the most unfavorable conditions, a world that is wrought with unrighteousness, a world that is wrought with sin, a world that is captivated by man's inhumanity to man, that God wants that world to see that his people are able to live in such a way that demonstrates his favor that they can bear fruit in spite of those circumstances for his glory and leave a watching world wondering who does that? How is that possible? What manner of woman is she? What manner man is that. And this is what we see here in the life of Joseph. When we last left Joseph, you might remember, he was the victim, was he not, of the horrific sin and crime of his brothers who had sold him into slavery 
and those who, sold, who, who bought him for next to nothing from his brothers made their profit off of Joseph by selling him to an Egyptian. He was sold in Egypt to a prominent Egyptian named Potiphar. Potiphar, the Bible says here, was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. No doubt a position he had earned. He had earned, no doubt, by being a scrupulous man, a diligent soldier, risen to the ranks of being the chief among those elite soldiers who guarded Pharaoh, and no doubt was well compensated and lived as such. A man who would have been feared, a man who would have been respected, a man everybody knew. It was this man, this prominent citizen of Egypt who apparently had gone down to the slave block and had purchased Joseph, bought what he saw was a young, strong, good-looking young man of 17, eyeing the potential that this young man would have for labor in his house, eyeing the potential that this young man would have for turning a profit in the Potiphar's house, he bought him and set him to work, no doubt, like he would have any other slave amongst the rest of the slaves and servants, even probably at the bottom of the totem pole among the servants. We are not told, beloved, what transpired with the Ishmaelites to whom Joseph had initially been sold. We are not told how these slave traders treated Joseph. And no doubt, it was not the way that he was treated by his father. It was not the way that he was treated by his mother. The trauma of being thrown in the pit no doubt still rested upon him as he struggled to understand why his brothers would treat him so the effects of somebody else's unrighteousness upon his own mind and heart and body, no doubt still rested with him. Being in the pit and having to listen to his brothers as they speak of him, not as a brother, but as some chattel. Discussing whether or not to kill him or to sell him. 
No doubt that still rested upon his mind. And then being sold into slavery. In a land that he knew nothing about. In a strange land, in a strange country. Around the people who spoke a strange language. With people who ate strange food. In a, a foreign land where they dressed differently than he did. They behaved differently than he had been taught. They looked different than he looked. And no doubt, they looked at him and spoke to him as if he were no more than some two-legged beast. And we can only imagine then, beloved, the impact that all of this would have upon this young 17-year-old boy. Upon his heart, upon his mind, as he had, as he had to adjust to these, this new reality. This new life that was suddenly thrusted upon him. He had to learn a new language. They, didn't, they weren't going to give him any tutors, beloved. He had to learn a new language on the fly. He had to learn new customs. He had learned the customs of not only the Egyptians, but he had to learn the customs of the slaves as well. He had to adjust to these new people from the favor of his Father, he has been thrown to the bottom of the slave quarters. We are not told how long a period we have. Joseph is now in Potiphar's house, and we are not told as we begin to read in verse 39 of how long the service to Potiphar had. Though the text makes it seem that it happened right away, beloved, that as soon as he got to Potiphar's house, that Potiphar saw him and raised him up to his own private secretary as soon as they got from the slave block. But we know that is not true. On the contrary, was probably some 10 or 11 years that Joseph has been in Potiphar's house serving as a, as a slave that we begin to engage the story now. Over those ten or so years, 
Though Joseph was in a most unfavorable position, and I say unfavorable, beloved, because I am sure that there is not a person here this morning who would volunteer to be my servant, my slave. Though he was in this most unfavorable position, the Bible says God's favor upon Joseph took shape. And I would suggest to you this morning, it was largely due to Joseph's favorable attitude. His favorable attitude. Robert, what is the favor of God? I think this is what the text begs of us this morning to seek to understand the favor of God the goodness of God the 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 benevolent disposition of God whereby he pours his grace and goodness upon his child What is that? I think Joseph, the life of Joseph here, opens that up for us and gives us a picture, a glimpse into what it means to be favored by God. And the necessary impact that favor should have upon our lives, but even more importantly, upon the lives of those around us mean? I want to suggest to you there's two things here that this favor reminds us. And it reminds us that the foundation of the favor of God is the presence of God. And that being the foundation, then the evidence of God's favor is the fruit of God. The foundation of his favor is his presence. The evidence that he is present is that there is fruit. Let's look at that. Let's look at that. The presence of God. We are told that Joseph became a successful man. A successful man. And the key to that success, the Bible tells us quite plainly, is that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. Now, beloved, the promise of the presence of God is one of the most blessed promises that God gives to his people. The promise that he will be with them. And it's interesting to me that, that when I'm reading this, I'm thinking Potiphar probably couldn't understand it fully. But over the span of these years, as he watched Joseph, 
and he saw how Joseph labored and how Joseph served. He knew something was different about Joseph. And that difference, the Bible says, is that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Wherever the Lord is, there is favor. Wherever the Lord is, there is favor. Wherever the Lord is, he favors his beloved ones. And when he promises to be with us, that is a promise from God for God to be for us. That's what that means. He's not just going along to get along with you. When God says, I am with you, he means I am for you. Sometimes people say they're with you, and then you look behind you and they're way back. We back here. We with you. When God says he's with you, beloved, he's not just with you. He's for you. He's in front of you. He's opening ways for you. He's orchestrating life for you. That's why it's such a blessed promise for God to say, I am with you. Excuse me? Excuse me? It's like, you know, you playing basketball one day out on the court. And everybody out there playing and brothers struggling and everything. And all of a sudden you look up and here come Kobe. And Kobe say, Tony, I'm with you. It's over. Whatever I thought was happening and whatever everybody thought was going on, game over. That's how it is with God. God with Joseph, beloved, is nothing more than the fulfillment of the promise that he made to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 28 and verse 15, he told Abraham, behold, I am with you. Beloved, when God determined to be with Abraham, match over. Game, set, match. All other nations had no chance. No matter what was going to happen on the court or the playing field, the outcome has now been predetermined. And he says to Abraham, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised you. Do you know God is still working out that promise 
when Joseph goes into Potiphar's house. This is how our God is. As his presence is power, his presence is hope, his presence is assurance, beloved. His presence is favor for his people. It's what it says in Isaiah chapter 41. Verse 10. What a mighty passage of scripture this is, beloved, this morning. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. God says, you are my servant. I have chosen you. Fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. There, beloved, is the favor of God. That is the favor of God when God says, I am with you. What does it mean for God to be with you? It means that you now have God's strength. See what it says. I am with you. What do you mean, God? Well, I will strengthen you. I will be your strength. I will be the strength you need to withstand what you thought you could not withstand. I will be your strength. How does Joseph overcome all of the unrighteousness of others in his life? God is with him. God is his strength. You thought you couldn't do it. I am your strength. The strength to give what you thought you couldn't give. I am your strength. The strength to forgive what you thought you couldn't forgive. I am your strength. If the Lord is with you. That's why he's with you, beloved. Be not dismayed. I am your strength. Not only is he your strength, but notice what he says there. If I'm with you, God is your help. God is your help. Notice what he says. Be not dismayed. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will help you. In other words, beloved, you don't do it on your own. You don't do it on your own. Those resources necessary for your life, God will supply. Those resources that are necessary, God will supply because his favor is his help. His help. In Psalm 84 and verse 11, which is, this psalm is quickly becoming my favorite. In verse 11 it says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord 
bestows favor and honor. And no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Beloved, if your heavenly Father thinks you need it, you will have it. If he thinks you need it, you got it. That is the favor of God. Beloved, Joseph doesn't rise in the ranks of Pharaoh's house without God's strength. He doesn't rise in Pharaoh's house without God's help. He's not only not only your strength, he is not only your help. Do you see what he says in Isaiah 2? God's favor is your support. I will uphold you. Be not dismayed. I will uphold you with my right hand. The Lord will hold you the Lord will hold you up. In other words, beloved, you can lean on him. You can lean on him. Now, I don't know Bill Withers. And he can sing till the cows come home for me to lean on him. But I don't know him. And him telling me to lean on him is no comfort to me, no matter how good it sounds, Bob. But there is one when he says, lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. Lean on me. He is the one who says that even when your mother and your father forsake you, you can lean on me. He is a shield. He is a buckler. He is a strong tower. And the righteous run into him, and they are safe. Why? Because they can lean on him. And that's why, beloved, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 3 to what? To not lean on our own understandings. Stop leaning on yourself. You can lean on God. That's what it means to have the favor of God. He is your strength. He will uphold you. God sings from heaven. Lean on me. Listen, the Lord is with us, beloved. There is no more comforting promise this morning than when God says, I am with you. That is the favor of God. And is it any wonder that when Christ comes into the world, the Bible says, 
that we shall call him what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Which means God with us. God with us. This, beloved, is the point of Christ coming into the world. He came bringing the favor of God upon the people of God. He came redeeming. He came saving. He came comforting. He came helping, strengthening, supporting. He came as God with us. He is the favor of God upon his people what it means, beloved, to have the favor of God. It means the presence of God. And Joseph rose up in Pharaoh's house because the Lord was with him and gave him support and help gave all that Joseph needed. When you have the presence of God and the favor of God, then therefore is resting upon you, beloved. That presence becomes a tangible reality. Don't miss that. That becomes a tangible reality. For the favor of God, his presence, and his power that comes to us in the spirit manifests itself, will manifest itself in the natural. Whereby you and I will bear fruit. There is a tangible evidence of God's favor for Joseph was successful he became in verse 2 you can't miss it he became a successful man beloved to be a successful man in that sense is to be able to tangibly identify what that success is Potiphar could not look into Joseph's heart, but he could see the labors of Joseph's hands. And he was a success. Potiphar noticed this. In verse 3, he realized that the Lord was with him, giving him success in everything he did. Everything he did. To simply relegate this to spiritual realities is to say that Potiphar noticed that Joseph had a good prayer life. That Potiphar noticed that Joseph studied his scriptures every day. And that he was able to learn what the Bible says. But it says that he had success in everything. 
Potiphar did not put Joseph in his house to pray. He did not buy Joseph so Joseph would lead Bible studies in his home. He bought Joseph so Joseph would work. And when Potiphar saw the labors of Joseph, he saw a successful man. He saw the labors. He saw the way Joseph went about his business. He saw the attitude with which Joseph engaged his labors. He saw how others responded to Joseph and how Joseph treated others. He saw the integrity of the life and the work. He saw the favor of God. And that favor is a favor which produces fruitfulness and success in all he did. Now, beloved, don't get it twisted this, this morning. I want to be clear here. When it says that the favor of God rested upon Joseph and that, that Potiphar saw it, it was because Joseph was a hard and faithful laborer. Someone has rightly said that success comes before work only in the dictionary. If Joseph was successful, it was because Joseph worked. If Joseph was successful, it was because Joseph labored. He was diligent in his work. God was not rewarding laziness. God was not rewarding complaining. God was not rewarding discontent. God did not reward a malcontent. If anyone, beloved, had a reason to complain about his working conditions, it was Joseph. If anybody had a reason to vent on how others had treated him, it was Joseph. If there was anyone who had a right to sit down and do nothing until the Lord made something happen, it was Joseph. If anyone had a reason to get on Facebook and complain, it was Joseph. There's anyone who could have vented against his employers and his brothers and sisters on Twitter, it was Joseph. he didn't. And the favor of the Lord rested upon him. And whatever Joseph did, beloved, without complaining, without a malcontented heart, without grumbling and moaning, Joseph did wholeheartedly because he did it not under Potiphar, but he did it unto God. 
That's the difference. That is the difference. That's what God saw. And that's what pleased God. He will, he will withhold no good thing from him or her who walks uprightly before him. Beloved, Potiphar isn't giving rule over his house to some stubborn, stubborn, malcontented, discontented, rebellious slave. He is given the rule of his house to a young man upon whom he sees the favor, the integrity, the diligence, the honesty of God. He has looked at his work. And it is bearing fruit. Because that's what the favor of God does. Bears fruit. And that fruit was seen in his relationships. He had fruitful relationships. His relationships were fruitful. The relationship with Potiphar, beloved, could have been a sour one. Very easily could have been a sour relationship. Joseph was unrighteously treated. He was unrighteously sold. Potiphar was his master who had no right to Joseph's service. Yet, Potiphar was not just impressed with Joseph. He trusted him. Excuse me? You bought the man. He is a slave in your home. Don't you think given the opportunity, he would turn and run? Don't you think given the opportunity, he would pilfer whatever he believes you have unrighteously taken from him? The Bible says not only was he impressed, but he trusted Joseph. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. You would think that Joseph and Potiphar would have been enemies. I mean, most of us would have been. Every opportunity, we would have risen up to somehow undermine Potiphar's household, make him so sick and tired of us that he would want to get rid of us. But I think Proverbs 16 and 7 says it well. When a man's ways please the Lord. He makes even his enemies at peace with him. That is the favor of God. You walk in a way that is trusting and believing God, beloved, even your enemies begin to be at peace with you. Someone has rightly said that the best way to to be reconciled to others is to yourself be rightly reconciled to God. That is so instructive. I think that is so true. 
here was Joseph. He was in right relationship with God. And because he was in right relationship with God, the fruit of that relationship, the favor of that relationship overflowed into all of his other relationships so that Joseph was easy to get along with. How you know somebody really has the favor of God? They're just easy to get along with. They're not easily offended. They're not easily angered. They realize that they have been reconciled to God. And they understand the import and the impact and the mercy and the grace that is inherent in a relationship with God. And when that becomes foremost in their lives and in their thoughts, all these other petty relationships are easy to deal with. Joseph was right with God. That made more easy, easier for him to be in right relationship with Potiphar. Oh, beloved, those who are in right relationship with God, your life will be marked out by a joy that even your enemy can't deny. Because they didn't give it to you. And they can't take it away. There was, there must have been a disposition about Joseph that nobody could understand. The other slaves must have thought he had lost his mind. And Potiphar must have thought that he had hit the jackpot. And it wasn't about Potiphar. And it wasn't about the other slaves. It was about God and Joseph's relationship with him. His relationships were fruitful, but not only was his relationships fruitful, beloved, but so too were his labors. Verse 5, it says, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all he had in house and field. The Lord blessed Potiphar. But notice, he blessed him for Joseph's sake. For Joseph's sake. The Bible doesn't say that the Lord was with Potiphar. The Lord was with Joseph. But because the favor of the Lord rested upon Joseph, it overflowed to those who were in the vicinity. It is a joy that overflowed to the cup of Joseph to overflowing whereby now others are able to sip and to be the recipients of it. 
This is wonderful, beloved. This is the magnanimous disposition of God toward his people. And this is the point. This is how you know that Joseph is favored by the Lord. It's because God blessed Joseph to be a blessing. He blessed Joseph to be a blessing. God sent Joseph to Egypt for a bigger reason than Potiphar. But beloved, on the way, Potiphar got blessed. He didn't send Joseph to Egypt to be a slave in Potiphar's house. That's not the end game. But because Joseph is faithful along the way, Potiphar becomes the beneficiary of God's favor. It's amazing. It's wonderful, beloved. Reminds us. Reminds us. It should, anyway, that the blessings of the Lord are not just for you. Not. God is not here just interested in Joseph being good. He also is interested in Potiphar knowing that Joseph's God is great. Do you see that? It is not simply about making much of Joseph. God wants Potiphar to know that he is with Joseph and that there is a God in heaven and he is on Joseph's side. God blessed Potiphar for Joseph's sake. For Joseph's sake. What a mighty picture. What a mighty picture, beloved, of redemption here. I want to ask you a question. Because I'm, I'm asking myself this question as I'm reading and just mulling over this and trying to understand all that is happening here. And I'm asking myself, who am I here? See, the whole time you've been thinking that you were Joseph. Haven't you? No, beloved. I'm Potiphar. I am Potiphar. I'm looking at this text. And while I want to be Joseph, if I am honest this morning, I am Potiphar. I want to be Joseph. And I want to be blessed and highly favored, but the reality is I am Potiphar. How am I Potiphar? I am Potiphar because, like Potiphar, if I am blessed, it is not because I am blessing worthy, because I am not. 
I am Potiphar because if I am highly favored, it is not because I am favor-worthy because I am not. I am Potiphar, beloved, this morning because like Jesus, who in Philippians chapter 2 was the favored son and made of himself nothing. Because Joseph, like Jesus, who was the favored son, took on the form of a slave and a servant. Because Joseph, like Jesus Christ, was a favored son and humbled himself and served those who had no right to his service. And because he humbled himself, the Bible says that God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name so that now everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus is blessed and highly favored. Potiphar is saved, beloved. Because Joseph has come into the house. Who are you this morning? I'm Potiphar. Because Joseph has been born. Because he has come into this house. And all that he touches is blessed. Not because of me. The Bible says that I have been blessed for Jesus' sake. And the Father no longer looks upon me, but he looks upon him. And I am blessed for Jesus' sake, beloved. If you are saved this morning, beloved, God is with you. If you are saved this morning, Christ is Emmanuel, God with you. And if you are saved this morning, I don't care what the bank account says. I don't care what's parked in the parking lot. You are blessed and highly favored. Amen. Let's pray.